it's 6 Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific. To give up our own oil and gas and buy the energy that we need from countries that hate us. So those countries that hate us will have more money to buy weapons to try to kill us. Coast to coast and around the world from the America Out Loud Talk Radio Studios. Now, I, I realize you can't fix stupid, but you can vote it out. It's time for Truth Be Told with Booker Scott. I don't know about you, but I've never been more happy that a football season is finally over. Can we just stop with Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, and all of that talk? And I mean nothing against Taylor Swift. I have an 11-year-old daughter that loves her. Uh, Nothing against Kelsey either. And nothing against love. I love love. But the whole Swifty-Kelsey thing, I'm over it. Let's move on. We have a country to save. And save from what? Well, what about governments that tell you what type of stoves you can cook on? What about governments that tell you to wear a seatbelt? And we have governments taking children from parents so they can be transitioned to the opposite sex. We had governments tell you whether you could go outside to the park during COVID. They also told you to only walk in one direction in the grocery store during COVID. Remember that? And they told you that you couldn't worship God the way you want to at church. Are we really paying attention? Now we have a state trying to pass a law telling you what kind of tires you can buy for your car. It's true. It's happening. And we're concerned about a singer dating a football player. I'm Booker Scott, and this is The Truth Be Told on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This hour is brought to you by Gold Co. Just go to BookerLikesGold.com and see if you qualify for up to $10,000 in free silver. That's at BookerLikesGold.com. I saw this story Monday, and it really caught my attention. And if you, if you think back to the states that started making it illegal to use gas stoves and how ridiculous you thought that was, and it still is ridiculous, by the way. And, and then for two years in a row, we saw Kamala Harris and the second husband put out on social media pictures of them at Thanksgiving cooking dinner on a gas stove. The hypocrisy again. But let's move to Wackadoodle, Washington, where legislation is working its way through the General Assembly right now. And I'm going to be reading uh, from an article that was in the Daily Caller last week. So you can go there to read the full thing uh, if you'd like to. But simply put, this is what the bill does. Washington State is mulling a bill that would allow bureaucrats to ban the sale of certain tires if they fail to meet fuel efficiency standards. You see, this is all about the climate crap. This is House Bill 2262, which is under consideration by the Washington State House Transportation Committee. And this would empower the state's Department of Commerce So they are going to empower people within the government, the Department of Commerce, to adopt energy-efficient standards for replacement of tires. You can only buy certain tires if you live in Washington. That's what this bill argues. It argues for the restricting access of certain tires because it will reduce energy use and lower carbon emissions. 
Uh, first, it's stoves, and now your tires, and of course, it's all in the name of climate change. Now, this is what the climate Nazis, the ones that wrote this legislation, this is what they say in the bill. Tire bans will save the state $3 billion in transportation costs, reduce gasoline consumption by 600 million gallons, and prevent 5 million metric tons of carbon dioxide from entering the atmosphere from 2026 until 2035. That's what the climate Nazis said. But Consumer Reports says something different. The fuel efficiency gains a low rolling resistant tires, which the bill is trying to push. They're marginal for individuals. A 10% reduction in rolling resistance only equates to roughly 1% improvement in fuel efficiency. So someone is not telling the truth in the name of climate change. Again, individuals in violation of this law, well, they're going to be subject to something. They're going to be subject first to a warning, and that's their first offense. And after that, the civil penalty ranges from $100 to $10,000. That's $10,000 for other offenses. That's also in this bill. Standards adopted by the Department of Commerce may not adversely affect tire safety. Pay attention to that. It may not adversely affect tire safety. But yet they are asking you to go to a smaller tread, which isn't as safe in the rain. But they say it may not affect tire safety. That's according to a section of the bill, and the department must provide an exemption for snow tires in the state of Washington. And, and that's not all the Washington wackadoodles have done. Washington Democrats pre-filed a bill in December that would make operating gas-powered lawn care equipment a gross misdemeanor. Punishable, punishable by jail time, a fine, or both. Hands up, don't shoot. Hands up, don't shoot. I'm doing my lawn. I'm trying to win the award so they'll put the sign in my yard from the HOA this month for beautification. Hands up, don't shoot. It's just a lawnmower. It's a weed eater. That's what's going on. The bill has, this bill has since been referred to the Washington State House Committee on Environment and Energy. So you see there, it is progressing through the process in Washington State. Washington State residents have successfully campaigned to get an initiative to repeal the state's Climate Commitment Act, which some have criticized as a hidden gas tax. So that will no longer be on the 2024 ballot. You can read that whole story in the Daily Caller. Uh, this is real. It's happening all over. Liberal states are taking individual freedoms and liberty away all the time. It's happening. But Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey seem to be the obsession that gets our attention. I mentioned COVID a few minutes ago and the gross government overreach that we all lived through. And I would say we probably haven't recovered from that. And who knows the long-term effects on our children in both education and socially. It's going to be decades before we really know the full extent of all that damage. There are a lot of people on this network, America Out Loud Talk Radio and AmericaOutloud.news, 
that have a lot of great COVID knowledge. I encourage you to go look at it and check it out. Many shows here deal with all of this all the time. The great Peter McCullough, Dr. Peter McCullough is here. Dr. Harvey Risch, Dr. Paul Alexander. There's a nurse's show, which is made up of frontline nurses, and it's daily, every day, Monday through Friday, right here on the network. When I do talk about COVID, it's more from a political lens and government tyranny than medical. I'm not qualified to speak medically, but I ran across this, and I think it's uh, worth passing along because it's more political than medical. You may have seen the World Health Organization's health treaty. If you're like me, you probably think America has no business in relinquishing its power and sovereignty to a global elite organization where the puppet strings are pulled by people like Bill Gates and others just like him. I I found this in the Forgotten Side of Medicine article, uh, which was written by a medical doctor in the Midwest, and that's literally the byline on the story. It just says, a medical doctor in the Midwest. But here's what this medical doctor in the Midwest said. This doctor asks questions. How do we stop whose pandemic treaty? At a glance, here's the story. Preventing pandemics is one of the most lucrative areas in medicine. Unfortunately, despite all the money this industry has received, it has only made the problem worse. This is because most pandemics are the result of lab leaks from preventative research and because whenever an effective solution is discovered for a pandemic, it gets suppressed by the industry since so many business interests depend upon profiting off an unsolvable emergency. The way COVID-19 was handled was so egregious that it woke much of the public up about this grift. And because of that, the pandemic industrial complex is now facing an existential risk to its business model, since much of the general population no longer is willing to go along with it. I know I'm not. To solve the problem, a covert WHO treaty has been put together behind the scenes, which gives these international health agencies absolute control over anything related to an alleged health emergency and in turn enshrines each awful policy which was conducted throughout COVID-19, mass censorship, or the promotion of dangerous and experimental vaccines. That's what they are after in this treaty. A grassroots activist movement has accomplished something remarkable despite the fact every single large organization has pushed the pandemic treaty through. In only a few short months, these activists have begun to derail it. I believe stopping this power grab is one of the most important issues of our time. And this article was written to explain exactly what they are doing so that each of us can help be a part of making sure that this treaty fails. There's a long-standing problem of natural and non-natural diseases leaking or being deliberately released from biolabs. The leaks, they're very common, and periodically leaks with grave consequences occur. Uh, Look at RSV, H1N1, HIV, smallpox, anthrax, Lyme, SARS, Ebola, SARS-CoV-2, and the list goes on. Remarkably, prior to the unprecedented censorship of COVID-19, scientists actively spoke out against weaponizing viruses in labs. And if you'll remember, it was Barack Obama in 2014 that actually made the gain of function illegal. I thought it was an interesting article and and one worth passing on to you. 
Uh, what can you do about it? Well, there is a petition circulating to demand Congress keep America out of this WHO pandemic treaty. I've embedded it into the article and description of the show for podcast. So if you're listening on Talk Radio Live right now, in about 24 hours, you can go to AmericaOutloud.news, find the show page, Truth Be Told with Booker Scott, and you'll see this show at the top there. And then you can find the link to sign this petition. Another thing that I mention from time to time is that our society now seems to be polarized more than ever. And I believe a part of that is how we all consume information. Regardless of the politics that we believe in, we tend to read, hear, and see what we want to. And that creates a bigger divide. And in some cases, regardless of the side that you may be on politically, it creates a false truth. Truth is truth. There is no your truth, my truth, or their truth. There's just the truth. I came across an article just this past weekend, and it was written toward the end of January. I'm not even going to mention the publication or the author. I just want to bring this to your attention. The, the headline reads, White Hats Confirm Lloyd Austin Killed in Ukraine. I'll read that again. White Hats Confirm Lloyd Austin Killed in Ukraine. Here's Lloyd Austin in a press conference just last week. But in my first week back in the Pentagon, I did want to address my recent hospital stay and some of the issues around it. I'm recovering well, but as you can see, I'm still recovering. I'm still having some leg pain and doing physical therapy to get past it. I'm deeply grateful to my doctors and the nursing staff at Walter Reed. And I very much appreciate all the good wishes. But I want to be crystal clear. We did not handle this right, and I did not handle this right. I should have told the president about my cancer diagnosis. I should have also told my team and the American public. And I take full responsibility. I apologize to my teammates and to the American people. So clearly, Lloyd Austin isn't dead. He was doing a press conference. But a lot of people are going to believe this article. I'm going to continue with it. The White Hat Coalition has confirmed that the criminal Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin was killed in Ukraine on January 3 by a Russian cruise missile strike that annihilated a command post where Austin was with a high-ranking Ukrainian military commander. Uh, they were scheming to overthrow Vladimir Putin, the article reads. As reported on January 7th, Russian FSB agent Andrei Zakharov told this source that the criminal Biden regime's claims about Austin being secretly hospitalized for a week were disinformation because Russian intelligence placed him in Kiev at the time of the alleged hospitalization. He said 20 Hypersonic cruise missiles destroyed a maze of subterranean chambers in which Austin and this other Ukrainian general were. Although white hats don't dismiss the claim as propaganda, good, good, I'm glad they do that. They wanted physical evidence of Austin's death. And guess what? They received that evidence, according to this article's source, on January 14th. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shogu sent General Smith's office a digital copy of Austin's fingerprints lifted from equipment he had touched in the Kiev bunker. Okay, do you believe that? 
because I just played Austin for you in a press conference. He's not dead. He's not a robot. It isn't AI. And that's the truth. And truth should still be important. Okay, here is some news for you out of Alaska. Get ready uh, before we go to break here. Uh, Going back to the fear of another pandemic, Alaska has just confirmed the first fatal case of Alaska pox. You remember monkeypox? And what about the, the murder hornets from a few years ago? Anything to put fear in you. You read that headline and you run with it and you're scared to death. Well, before you run to go get your mask and another booster shot, Uh, The gentleman that passed away from Alaska pox, he was very old, described as elderly and immunocompromised. He passed away back in January. A little bit more of this Alaska pox story. Uh, Alaska pox was recently discovered in a double-stranded DNA virus similar to smallpox, monkeypox, and cowpox and occurs mostly in small mammals like voles and shrews. And they discovered this strain in 2015. And since that time when they discovered it, there have only been seven cases. Only seven cases over about eight or nine years. And this was the first death of an elderly man. And again, that's Alaska pox. One thing is for sure, the world is crazy. We can never be sure what's going to happen next. And with everything going on right now, it's hard to say what could happen or what will happen because we don't know anything for sure. And we usually don't find out until it's too late. So what you do about it, it's totally up to you. It's your business. But when it comes to your money, you should understand what's at stake. So that's why I partnered with GoldCo because I know this can possibly help you at these very times that we find ourselves living in. Go to BookerLikesGold.com to get your free gold and silver kit for 2024. It shows you how to get into precious metals, tax-free and penalty-free, even if your money's still in a retirement account like an IRA or a 401k. And you may already qualify for up to $10,000 in free silver. You've seen the writing on the wall. It's everywhere. I just did an entire segment of the writing on the wall. Go to BookerLikesGold.com for your free gold and silver kit because this is about taking back control of our privacy and our freedom. I can't predict the future, but I can get ready for it, and you should too. At the very least, you should be educated about your choices. So take action, defend your freedom, your privacy, and your future. Go to BookerLikesGold.com to get your free 2024 gold and silver kit now. More truth in minutes on America Out Loud Talk Radio. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Asiya believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. Asiya. 
We power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Don't forget every afternoon at 3 o'clock, attorney Tom Renz has his show here, and that's followed at 4 o'clock by Paul Engel and the Constitutional Study. It's a great program every day, Monday through Friday at 4 o'clock Eastern Time. My name is Booker Scott. Thank you so much for joining us here. And you know, I personally feel like there is no greater resource in our country than our children, the kids. It's our future. It's what America will become in the future. And looking around, you can take all these things so negatively and you can think there is no future. There are some people out there that are doing some things to try to make a difference. And one of those is author Chad Stewart. And he wrote a book and a series of books and it's called Britfield, The Lost Crown. And it's going to be made into a movie. He's a best-selling author. And hopefully one day, Britfield, The Lost Crown could surpass Harry Potter. You never know, but he is a best-selling author. His name is Chad Stewart. He's with us now. Chad, tell us where you started and where you're going and what all of this is about. Uh, I'm originally from Newport Beach, California. I was back east in uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts for 16 years, and I'm now back in San Diego. And it started about 12 years ago. Uh, I was dying to get back into doing something creative. I came from a writing background. And that's when I had the idea for my first book in a fictional series for children called Britfield and the Lost Crown. And I didn't really think much of it. I just wanted to do something fun and creative. And there's a great quote by Beverly Clearly. She's the author of um, The Mouse and the Motorcycle and The Runaway Ralph, two of my favorites growing up. And she said, if you ever go into a library or a bookstore and you don't find the book you're looking for, write it. And so I decided to sit down and write it. And so I had this idea about this uh, orphan Tom, 12 years old, and his best friend, Sarah, also 12. And it, it takes place in England, in Yorkshire, northern England, uh, in present time. And, um, and Tom's been an orphan his whole life. And this is the year he's going to escape from this horrible orphanage that treats uh, the children like work products. They're in the factory all day long. And so I ended up spending uh, four years and 2,500 hours to create a fast-paced, um, adventure novel based on family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. And uh, from my concept to launching, it took about 10 years. Wow. 10 years of hard work, 10 years of focus, of patience, of defeat, of frustration, of depression, you name mm -hmm. it. But I just stuck with the idea. I believed in it. We officially launched in August 2019. Since then, it's become a national bestseller. It's actually one of the most awarded books in children's fiction. Um, some of the awards we've received is Parents' Choice Gold Medal, Mom's Choice Gold Medal, Literary Classic Gold Medal, and even international awards. And at the time, I was only thinking one book, and, uh, but by the time I finished it, I said, I, I think i got a series here. So it's going to be a seven-book series. And uh, two years ago, 2021, we launched the second of the series, Britfield and the Rise of the Lion, which takes place in France. And Tom and Sarah are now 13. That's 474 pages. And then last year, we launched Britfield and Return of the Prince, uh, which takes place in Italy. And Thomas are now 14, and I'm working on book four. So I think what makes these books so dynamic, and we know because we received thousands of feedback and letters from children, adults, homeschoolers, teachers, librarians, and they just love the series. And I think, number one, it's just a fast-paced adventure series that just pulls the reader right into it. It has that sort of high-octane 
James Bond, you know, born identity, uh, fast, fast paced chapters. I don't waste words. But what's great about it is, is that it takes place in present time, which I think is really important because most of the literature out there is this sort of suspended reality, this fiction, uh, post-apocalyptic, you know, 50 years into the future or uh, in the past. It's like it's, it's happening right now, real time, and everything is as authentic as it can be, including, you know, his, we bring in history, geography, art, architecture, culture, and we also thread through the novels, we thread creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, and communication. And so really what you have is a power-packed book, which we like to call Stealth Education, that is really inspiring this generation um, and this generation's youth. And I love what you said at the beginning, because you said, you know, our children are the most important thing. And, and that's, that's our beachhead. That's, that's what we decided, you know, over 10 years ago. Our focus are elementary middle schools specifically, and um, our focus for the next 25 years is the next generation of, of children. And so while there's a lot of things going on currently in, in politics and, and, and all these other things, we're really focused on bringing that, that the love of reading, impacting literacy, inspiring children to think for themselves, for being independent, to be creative. And um, that's kind of a quick overview. What exactly was your goal? What was the objective when you started writing this book? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I just really wanted to write. A, I was very influenced. I was a British literature major, European history major in, in college. I lived in England for two years, and I just wanted to, and I love travel, I love history. And so I just wanted to write books that uh, children specifically and even adults could read and just have fun, experience, experience these places, these countries that I visited, and, and through, through the literature really, really see it, you know, starting with Yorkshire, and then my story moves to um, uh, Oxford University, and a little bit of background on the colleges and the beautiful buildings and the campus and the sort of philosophy that goes into um, Oxford. And then, and then as they're flying, basically what they do is they, they, they escape from whether they commandeer a hot air balloon. And so they crash in Oxford and somehow get it back together. And, and uh, they get the help of a professor, Hainsworth, that decides to help them get to London. And then they, they, um, they end up at Windsor Castle, finally London, and then down to Canterbury. And so it's just really bringing in the, the, the wonderment of, of travel and architecture history and just the fun of growing up, right? And, and I think that's what's fun. I mean, I had fun writing the books and, and you know, so. Chad, let's talk about something that you brought up just a second ago, which I don't know that it was maybe your motivation or it was the foundation of you writing this story and this book, but you mentioned creativity and I know creativity is very important to you. What do you hope kids get from this to make them more creative? Because I, I believe in society that we're in now, we put a tablet or we put a phone in front of a kid and, uh, you know, they're they're not being very creative that way. I know that when I grew up, and probably you did, your mom would kick you out of the house until it was dinner time, and then she would probably kick you out again yeah. until it was time to go to bed, and we had no choice but to be creative. So was right. that any part of your motivation going into writing this book? Because I know it's important yeah, to you. Yeah, hu hu hugely influential. Um, I was very blessed. I, you know, I grew up in Newport Beach, California. I grew up in a just a beautiful area. I could actually see the uh, the water, you know, from our house a couple miles away. I could actually watch the sun setting over Catalina Island. We had a wonderful neighbor with a big yard next door, and she allowed me to build my fort there. Yeah. And you know, just loved that experience. Uh, across the street was our elementary school, and it was so cool. Like after school, you'd look over 
at the field and see if there was anyone over there. And you see a couple of friends, and you're like, okay, cool. We're getting together a football game. Or yeah. We're getting together a, a you know frisbee football game. Or and then the park was down the street, and so I did. I grew up outside. I grew out grew up you know experiencing these fun places of, of adventure, and like I said, just creating these worlds, creating my fort. I mean, ironically, you know, I spent years kind of building my fort. And uh, eventually, when I was back east in New England, you know, I became an architect and, and uh, developed and built homes, you know, and, and how and why, all from that experience of building a fort, that love of, of building a fort. And so uh, creativity is at the core of it. Creativity is at the core of absolutely everything. And unfortunately, we as a nation, we've been in this creativity crisis for at least the last 30 years, and, and we're kind of at the, um, the lowest part of it. I mean, it's, it's been decreasing decade after decade in, in all these specific areas, like critical thinking, communication, collaboration, imagination. And in so many ways, unfortunately, schools, specifically public schools, are educating children out of creativity. Yet, on the other hand, creativity, frankly, is the number one most important skill set in the world. That's across the board. That, that's, that's all the demographics. That's all the research, the scientific journals. We've been researching it for 20 years. And so creativity is a, a, the most important skill in the world. It's not accounting. Not mathematics. It's not, it's not um, being being a lawyer or legal or, or medicine. Unfortunately, eighty percent of the legal legal profession will be replaced in the next three to five years by AI. Mm. And I am not an AI supporter. I think it's um, very uh, a demonic type of thing. Um, forty to fifty percent of all medical fields will be replaced by AI, and then forty to fifty percent of uh, banking, accounting, all of that stuff will be be replaced. But what? AI and computers cannot replace is creativity. And, and so we have this huge gap in the market um, and a huge need for it. And so we're just trying to tap and inspire children, especially at that age, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, with, uh, with the Britfield books to inspire them to think for themselves, to, to create. You know, you, 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 can't, you can't really connect to characters that are witches, you know, even if it's, yeah. quote, unquote, a good witch versus the bad witch. There are no good witches. And you cannot wave a wand to solve your problems. You cannot say a spell to solve your problems. You can't fly. You can't turn into a superhero. And this huge disconnect that's saturating the market has just left a void for, for kids that, that are filling with these sort of nonsensical books, this heightened fantasy. And so we're trying to create these authentic stories, almost like the Hardy Boys and a little bit like Charles Dickens. And um, one of my favorite quotes was uh, someone said that the Britfield series is, is a combination of C.S. Lewis and Dan Brown, and I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah, to be compared to C.S. Lewis, take that anytime, especially if you're a writer. Oh, yeah. uh, I, can only, yeah. I can only imagine what that compliment felt like. You know, I'm an old, an old radio guy. I've done this for a long time. And, I, you know, I could go to do video now and, and include video in it. And a lot of people ask me why I don't do that. And, and one reason is because of the theater of the mind and the creativity. Sure. Because as you hear voices in audio, you can create the picture in your mind of whatever it is it means to you. If I'm showing someone a video, then they are only seeing what I want them to see. So I appreciate that about audio and radio, but I have to think that when you're writing a story like you do, you also want to leave it to the imagination of the reader when it comes to that creativity. That's a great lead-in, and I will say one thing. We, we actually have an award-winning audio version of Britfield Lost Crown done by a, an award-winning British voice talent, Ian Russell, and, he, and it's like about 
11 and a half hours, and he does all the voices. So that's kind of fun. But no, it's, it's interesting, too, because I was debating with book one, do I, do, do I include pictures? You know, a little bit like what yeah. Dickens did, even if it's one page per chapter. And I thought, no, I, I don't want any pictures. And so I wanted to try to create, create this visual book that the kids, like you said, they have to tap their mind. And I'm relying on them to do it. And what I'll do is I, and I don't get lost in words. I think too many authors try to be too poetic or spend way too much time on description when I'm more interested in the story and I like to drive the story forward. And just to give you an example, I'll frame it, but I won't finish it. And so, you know, once they escape, Tom and Sarah escape from Weatherly Orphanage, they commandeer a hard air balloon. And I describe the basket and I decide, I describe the size of the balloon and the ropes and, and the propane tanks, but I never describe the color of the balloon. Which I think is kind of interesting, but yeah. it emphasizes my point. You know, I'm letting, I'm relying on the, the reader, the child, to fill it in. You know, and they'll still whatever color the whatever color the balloon is is the one they'll make it. And so I try to do that. I, I'll frame things, but I don't over exaggerate them. I don't um, over describe them, and I and I leave that open to kids. And I I've heard you know just comments back and forth from from so many readers that it's like number one they say it's, it feels like you're in a uh, in an action movie. Yeah, that's what's pretty cool. And then they say it, it, it feels like you're there. That's, that's one of the main comments I'll get. Number one, I'll get, I'll get a comment that I've never read anything like it, which I think is amazing considering all the competition out there. And the other comment is that it feels like you're there, you're with them, and, um, which is great. I mean, that means my, my job and my duty as a writer is done because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take you into that circumstance and you feel it. And if you're feeling it, then you're, you're thinking about it, you're seeing it. And so that creative thread drives, drives these books. What was the tour like? of 23 states and 40,000 kids in 200 schools. That was amazing. That was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, truthfully, because, like, who really has the kind of time to do that, yeah. especially as you get older? But I was all in, and as I am with this, this book series. And so we, uh, we launched officially in, in uh, August 2019, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was wonderful. I, I drove all the way up uh, to Seattle, all the way across to um, Chicago, I made it all the way down to New Orleans and all the way up to Memphis, Tennessee. I was in Texas for about um, a month, uh, just traveling because it's such a big state. And I, and I went to every single school you could imagine. I went to private, public, Catholic, Christian, uh, charter, homeschool. I, went, I visited a homeschool farm in Nevada, which was wonderful. And it's interesting. So, I mean, everything from Title I schools to some of the top private schools in, in the world, really, uh, we visited one one private school up in L.A. where, you know, frankly, a lot of the Hollywood stars send their kids, and and that was amazing. It was like I was I was uh, in this auditorium in 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 front of almost over 400 students, and behind me normally you have a screen, you know, to project your, mm -hmm. your presentation. I, it was a it was a, literally a movie screen. It was that big. Wow. Um, and so the question is, is like you know, so how are the kids different? And and I'll be honest. Um, you know, in, in retrospect, you know, from 10 to 11 to 12, kids are kids, and kids were amazing. And I didn't see any difference with children, whether I was at a Title I school in Dallas, Texas, or a top private school in New Orleans. Um, kids are amazing at that age. K kids are still very creative, and, and they're wonderful. And some of the best questions I ever received were from fourth graders that just asked these zingers. I mean, they're, like, just awesome, you know, yeah. like... Does your protagonist have to be a person, you know, and you're like, whoa, where'd you get that? You know, so um, it was fun. It was, it was fantastic. I, we would present, we, you know, I come in there as a best-selling author. We talk a little bit about Britfield, but I was really there 
for two reasons. One was I wanted to, to inspire them and talk to, about, talk to them about creativity. And number two, I want to talk about the importance of storytelling and not just writing, but telling stories. And I, I've done a lot of research and uh, uh, I'm part of a graduate PhD program up at uh, Druckert School of Business right now. And one of the assignments I did was to, to go after a lot of my, uh, a lot of the alums. I had to, to find them and then research them and ask them. And they're, they're in businesses like in everything, everything from nonprofit to investment to consulting. And we'd ask them questions and then we asked them basically, what is the number one most important skill that you need right now? And across the board, number one was creativity. Number two was storytelling. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Storytelling. And, um, and if you think about it, I mean, everything's a story. If you're giving a book report in the classroom, you're telling a story. You know, if you're going for a job interview, you're telling a story. And how well you tell that story is the difference between success and failure. Your resume is a story. Everything that you do is, is storytelling. If you're a marketing company, of course, right, you're telling a story of a product. Why buy your product? What's the story? And so we really try to push that idea of, of the importance of storytelling, the importance of creativity. Chad, you know, this program and this network, America Out Loud Talk Radio, we're politics. That's what we talk about. And there's always doom and gloom in almost every show uh, when it comes to politics, especially lately in this country and, and everything <laughs> that we see around the world. After sure. your tour of 23 states and 40,000 kids, what were you left with, with our future? How did it make you feel? Well, it's interesting. And, um, and my interviews tend to be upbeat. I, I just don't go down that rabbit hole. I, I, I know what's going on. I've been researching this stuff for 12 years. I could, I could, go, in, I could go as far down that rabbit hole as you want, but I, I think it's just saturated with that, and it's that kind of fear and panic and fear and panic, and I think we need to be encouraged as a nation. I think we all have a power to step forward and do things. I think the greatest thing your audience can do right now is to raise their children or their grandchildren and give them as many opportunities as possible. And I'm not talking about buying them expensive gifts. I mean, opportunities, take them to a museum, take them to the park, take them to the lake, take them to a beach, um, get them a book. You know, if they want to play a musical instrument, you know, go out and rent one. And if, they, and if they're burned out after three weeks, fine, you know, take it back and get another one, but give them as many opportunities as they possibly can to expand their mind. And that is Chad Stewart. He is the author of Britfield and the Lost Crown. It's a whole series of books. Check that out for your children and your grandchildren if you have the opportunity. Britfield and the Lost Crown. So we go from our future and our children to our veterans. You know, 22 veterans die every day from suicide. It's a real number and it's a real problem. But Mike McDowell is making a difference. He's going to join us next. I will have you physically removed from this meeting if you don't stop. More Truth Be Told with Booker Scott in a minute on America Out Loud. Many voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. 
Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news. A place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Tonight at 7 and every night at 7 o'clock, Monday through Friday, it is Unleashed, the political news hour, and that is followed by the National Security Hour, and then at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, it's After Dark with Robin Andrew. Don't forget to go to AmericaOutloud.news, go to the shop while you're there, checking out the great content, and go to the shop, use the promo code OUTLOUD for a discount on some great items there at AmericaOutloud.news. I'm Booker Scott, and as we get into this last segment, you heard me say there going into the break, 22 veterans, and I believe it's probably more than that, 22 veterans every day commit suicide. And people in this country are working, a lot of different organizations are trying to make a difference. In addition to that, 60 to 70,000 veterans will sleep under a bridge tonight, under the stars. Let's welcome Mike McDowell. Mike, welcome to The Truth Be Told. Thank you, Booker. It's an honor to be here. And you're just getting this organization off the ground as it is, but this was a, your dissertation for a doctorate in education, is that correct? Correct. This was a spinoff of it, uh, basically examining uh, the needs and really reframing the transition process of answering the question of why some veterans do well and other ones do not. What did your research show you? Why do some do well? Why do some not do so well when they get out of the service? We're talking about people that were just in it for four years or maybe 20 or 30 years. Regardless of how long they were in, some have issues and some don't. What is What was the difference that you found? Well, to begin examining the challenges we face in terms of the soldier or service member coming out, you know, we, we equivocate them to having PTSD or moral injury of some sort. So many people believe that that's why they they don't thrive, when in actuality, the reason is, is really not that. It's actually failure to assimilate, uh, where we grab these young people at 17 or 18 years of age, uh, where they've never lived autonomously as adults, 
you know, they, they, they may have had a car payment or a part-time job or working, you know, with, within the confines of their home, but, but then came out and were looking for a purpose. Many of those uh, didn't have a lot of options, maybe academically or uh, through resources uh, at home. And so they joined the service and uh, we immediately indoctrinate them into a very socialized system, which is very good in terms of war fighting. It's very effective. Uh, everyone's got uh, a purpose, a job. Uh, they're a part of a tribe, uh, and they they work for the betterment of things bigger than themselves. So that's kind of what we what we really look at in terms of it's more of a sociological challenge in terms of finding purpose. Uh, and then they leave that service after, as you said, four years or 40 years. And they come in and they think they're all motivated. They have, uh, you know, a high desire, you know, to, to move on and to re- rebrand themselves. Uh, and that's where they fall on their, on their sword a little bit because they're really ill-prepared to go into society the way we, you know, we, we think they are. And so quietly when I said, you know, we're reframing the way we do it because what we're, what ha- what's going on today, particularly with the 20 suicides a day that we see, you know, those numbers, the latest data suggests that in 2001, we were looking at about 24, 25 per 1,000 that hurt themselves. Today, it's almost 43 per 1,000. So uh, the number's gotten worse. And quite frankly, uh, with 45,000 nonprofits, which are registered 501c3s, uh, doing the heavy lifting for this, uh, we're not getting better. So again, we've got to find new ways to, to really reframe the problem of practice. And the government really doesn't help in things like this. So it's left to people like you that have an idea that does the research and has the wherewithal to actually go out and and make something happen. We had uh, Mike Murray on this program a while back. It's been a few months, but he started an organization to help those with PTSD. And he mentioned something that was interesting. And as you're talking, it, it comes back to my mind, that conversation, that the homeless people that he has spoken to, the homeless veterans that sleep under the bridge and under the stars that I mentioned, that a lot of them want to be there because they associate with the tribe and the job that each one of them have to do. And they watch each other's back and take care of each other. And that kind of falls directly into what you are saying as well. I would, I would really agree with that statement. Uh, the, the problem that we have is we look at this through a soda straw sometimes, you know, we think we have X amount, you know, I was in Los Angeles. I was a veteran commissioner for LA County and really learned a lot. I was in a nonprofit called the Soldiers Project and did mo- it was mo- uh, mental and behavioral health for veterans. And, you know, it's, it is interesting because what we typically see, first of all, this, this, this concept of everyone having PTS and they have to have service dogs and all that brands us as weak. It brands us as people that need help and they need a handout. When in actuality, it's a very, very small amount of people. You know, it's the data suggests that we don't even really know how many of them have PTS. We assume between 8 and 18% uh, of service members leaving may have some sort of trauma-based background. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, the data needs to continue to move because a lot of those people had trauma as children, which are exacerbated by 
military service. So, and that's why you get the people who have PTSD never been to combat or they've never, you know, why does it happen to some and doesn't happen to others? Yeah. You know, I had six combat tours in the Marine Corps and uh, lost a lot of young people uh, in our, in our, uh, in our units and uh, break, you know, breaking your heart, you know, why sure. was I affected the way it was? Other people could walk away with it, you know, how it affects me. Um, and I struggle with it, you know, the fear of death every day, right? When you're out yeah. there day after day, after day, after day, after month, after month, and it's heavy kinetic and all that. But all that said, when you come back into, into serve, you know, cause you're, you're doing that four years or 40 years, the people doing the work, you know, there's so many challenges they face because of the 45,000 that we have, uh, very few uh, are financially stable enough to really be able to um, utilize evidence-based outcomes. You know, um, they're doing God's work, but the problem is, is they don't really know if they're being effective or not. Yeah. We see that with TAP today with Transition Assistance Program. You know, they're they're supposed to have every service member go through that program as a preparedness to going in and be a civilian. Well, and I say that's great. That's a great, great aspect to have. But I would also ask you, is it being successful? And my research said that it was not being successful for my hundreds and hundreds that I brought in in my research, my qualitative and, and uh, quantitative data. And so if there's no assessment at the end, how do you know anybody learns anything, right? And right. when you take a person that's never lived autonomously as an adult, and now they've lived in a socialized system, now they're leaving, we're really not examining the right thing when you say, well, they're going to work on a resume. They're going to do, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. they're, they're there for five days. And it's, it's the government's best way of trying to say, we've done that. We have a check in the box. And right. they're looking for signatures. They have no context to living on their own. They don't know they're going to live with their dad. They're going to live with their mom or girlfriend. And and they're they're leaving next week. I mean, we're not talking about six, eight months or a year before they get out there chicken tap. They're leaving literally the week of. And it's really embarrassing because they're not ready. They don't have a plan. And they don't even know what they want to do when they grow up, which is fine. I mean, I don't want to know what I want to do when I grow right. up as a 53-year-old male. Yeah, I'm still, tri I'm still trying to figure boat, it out. You know? yeah, 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 I'm trying to figure it <laughs> but out. But the still. idea behind it is is purpose, right? And, and most of these young people are not Christ-centered. You know, they don't have a very strong um, um, moral base in terms of they have moral uh, uh, objective, but they don't have a spiritual objective, which is really endemic of our society, sure. but they have no one else to lean on but themselves. And it, and it's really fascinating to me because, you know, if you look at the hard data, just look at the data of the people coming out of the 200,000 we have coming out, 70% of them don't do what they did in the military. Okay. Cause most of those people are, uh, military combat arms MOSs. Number two, when I was doing my research, the, these young people that are living in barracks, okay, the ones who are really that are at risk, you know, we're finding out that, you know, 20% of them, their biggest concern they have is food insecurity. That's the one thing wow. that they're concerned with. We didn't know that, you know, uh, we didn't, you know, we survey through Onward Ops, uh, organization that's our predecessor organization that takes them six months to a year before they get out. And they're at, they're able to get a 17 question survey given to them, and we have over 6,500 samples of these surveys, and we're finding out that they don't, we don't even know what the, well we know what the problem is, you know they're not not really uh, they're really not getting what their biggest fears are sat, satisfied, which leads to depression, anxiety, anxiety you know anxiety sure. is a big big thing, and now they leave leaving that tribe, they go off on their own, highly motivated. Don't get me wrong. 
things, you know, and then they're wondering why they're struggling because now they can't get a job. You know, um, I can, again, I have data that will 37% of them uh, that we have of the 6,500 surveys, 37% of them don't have a plan for med refills. Yeah. You know, and when they're taking anxiety meds, you know, or, or whatever coming out, you can't skip it. You know, we're finding out that only 17% of our, of our surveyees are signing up for VA. Why is that concerning? 17% Booker. Why, why are they not? Now, well, is there a reason why it, they are not signing up for VA? It's suggesting to us that we are, they don't understand the benefits. Like for example, we match them up in Onward Ops. We match them up six months to a year with, with trained VA sponsors in each city. Okay. So our program is new. Okay. That's a, that's a national program. Uh, Veterans Onward then takes them after their separation, after they leave military, then they go into Veterans Onward because we want to continue the organizational uh, tribe, right, that they get out of. But we're linking them up with someone in their community, a human being that's similar to them, could be male to male, could be male to female, could be female to female, could be industry-based. We try to find out all all the stuff that we can about them. And it blew my mind when I was looking at this data. this, the VA function is is a very important factor because after a year and a half or about 16 months or 17 months of our, our uh, research, we're finding out that the ones that are that are investing and that are signing up for Onward Ops and grabbing a sponsor, right, that they have a 65% chance of signing up for that. Mm-hmm. Now, that's important because in 19, or 2000, 2019, there was a survey study that was done in my work. You can see that in my dissertation. But... Uh, VA did a study and they said that about 75% of the 20 suicides a day we have, only only 77% of them did not sign up for VA. And they think that they're not qualified for it. If I ask them, you know, they they think, well, I'm not a combat vet. I'm yeah. not missing both my limbs. Um, I don't like the VA for brand purposes, whatever. We just tell them, listen, you know, you've got meds. You're not, you know, you got to get those refilled. You know, what are you going to do for your medical refill? Because again, if we have that 37% that we know and asking them that direct question, we can say, what are you doing for your meds? Well, I'll get it. I'll, I'll get meds when I get my new job. Okay, great. But understand you may not get a job for five or six months after right. you get out. It's not right after. See, that's the thing. So let's get you signed up for VA. Well, well, no, just sign up. Even if you don't like it, just sign up because you rate it for a year. Did you know that? And then they're like, I didn't know that. But that's that's what's broken about the system because they don't have the amounts of information coming out. And so by doing that with the onward ops side, we can, we can get them before they go into distress. We have a program with Texas Family Life, for example. If I know, Booker, you're leaving and you're young family and, and 20 because 20% of the people are like this. Their biggest fear is food insecurity. But if I came up to you and said, listen, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a credit card, a debit card that I can give you. I'm going to put $300 on that card okay, through Texas Family Life and our partnerships. You go to HEB, which is our large supermarket chain here. Go shopping. Because remember, what are, what are some of the things I learned? One, they don't know how to shop. They don't know how to cook. You know, they don't. <laughs> They don't know how to buy insurance. They don't know how to do lease agreements. They don't know how to do any of that stuff. And you think, well, they're military. You should know that. You're 22 years old. No, because they've never done it. So now I'm going to say, go to the supermarket, take your basket, look for these food items that you're going to grab. No booze, no cigarettes, obviously. Take a picture of the receipt, Okay, send that back up to me, and I'll recharge that card. And I'll do that for six months. That's 1800 bucks. So that problem's done. Booker, what else you got? What's your next big yeah. Well, 
I can see from the dashboard on your survey, this is the next issue, resume support, whatever. Well, let's talk about this. What industry do you want to go into? Well, I don't know really what I want to do. And that's normal. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's look at a few things. Have you ever looked at vocational trades? You know, well, I don't know. No, I didn't, I didn't really want to be a plumber. Well, there's other things. You can be an electrician, a pipe fitter, a carpenter. You know, you're really good at your hands. You ever looked at doing that? You see the pathway here. You are creating comprehensive support. It's not just like they go into distress to become homeless. Well, let's build them houses. Well, that's okay. Yeah. But you're not really getting to the root of the problem, which is understanding the individual as an individual. And it's not, let's be honest, the DOD is not in the business of, of getting people jobs. It's not their role. They're right. a war fighting entity and they're very good at it, Sure. but they're not positioned to do that. Someone like Onward Ops and now Veterans Onward coming out, we have the ability to really redo that tap process. We could essentially come in there uh, across the board and then have data on the out outcome because I'm most proud of is this is all about suicide prevention. Our study, we just had this published or it's going to be published very soon. We have actually, when they have engaged with sponsors, have reduced suicide ideations in terms of the conditions leading up to that, which is anxiety, depression, all that by 50%, okay? That's a hard data outcome. Nobody else has that stuff. Now you can't just say, well, we've eliminated X suicides. Well, you don't know that yeah. obviously because that's a longitudinal study. But if I can increase that by 50% or more by just a human being, you know? And uh, so anyway, so that's that's the direction that we think this is needs to go. Uh, and, and it's great for donors because now donors can say, I want my money targeted to vets, not to my salary, you know, not the yeah. wounded warrior thing or these other people who just print money, but you don't really know what they do. Right. Now we can show you this is what we do. This is what you sponsored with that $10,000 gift. You gave X amount of soldiers or service members food for this many months. Here's the receipts. Look yeah. what they bought. The name of the organization again is Veterans Onward, also part of Onward Ops. So please check that out. If you have a family member or a friend that is leaving the military or already has left the military, please check out Veterans Onward. And thank you to Mike McDowell for joining us here. Coming up next, Unleashed, the political news hour. You were told 2,000 years ago that you are the salt of the earth and salt without flavor, it has no value. So keep being salty. There is only one truth. You've been listening to The Truth Be Told with Booker Scott on America Out Loud. <laughs>